Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. It is Wednesday here at Soccer Morning. Backheel.com. Back after a brief interruption. Everything working, technically speaking, all of the buttons, when we push them, things happen. That's basically what you want. If you push a button, you want it to do the thing that you expect it to do. That's how technology works. That's what they tell me anyway. I push the button. I'm on the air. Trevor pushes the button. Uh, we get ready to go. Big show for you today. A couple of very good guests. Janis Mahalik will join us in just a little bit to go over the Champions League. I might talk to him about the Super League controversy, uh, Leicester, Arsenal, all of that in Europe. Plus, this is how it works with Janis. If we have some time, if it goes in that direction, we may pick his brain about MLS, the first week of the MLS season in the books, obviously. Ross Dunbar from DW Sports will join us as well. Talk a little German football with our friend uh, Ross. Plenty going on in Germany and a and German element to the Super League controversy as well, which I will, uh, I think I will broach with Ross this morning. So two good guests to make up for missing out on yesterday's show. Thank you very much for listening. As always, follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. If you have anything you want to contribute. We'll have the Twitter on all day because that's how Twitter works. And then the phone lines will be open in, uh, in the last couple of minutes of the show after we get done talking to Yanish and Ross. Let's set the stage for Yanish and Ross with the Champions League. Real Madrid advancing past Roma yesterday with a 2-0 win at the Estadio Santiago Bernabeu. They win the uh, tie 4 nothing on aggregate. Roma never really giving Real Madrid, uh, much of, uh, much of a, a fight there there were some so there was some controversy in uh in spain over the reaction to uh cristiano ronaldo who now has 40 goals for the season um because he was booed cristiano ronaldo uh being booed by the fans at the bernabeu this is opening up that uh the discussion about whether it's ever appropriate to boo your own team I am of the opinion that booing is fine. You paid your money, you got in the door, you sat down, you're spending your time there. Okay. Wolfsburg qualifies for the final eight in the Champions League for the first time after they get by KAA Ghent of Belgium 4-2 on aggregate. They came into that match at home in Germany, up just a goal from the from the um, uh, away leg, although it, it was never going to be much of a problem for Wolfsburg. They do win one nothing yesterday to get the 4-2 win on aggregate. Today's round of 16 matches, I think that's the way that went, right? Was the yesterday's leg in Germany? Today's round of 16 matches, Zenit St. Petersburg hosting Benfica. I know that to be true. 12 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1 if you're uh, uh, home during the day and can watch. Benfica is up one nothing from the first leg in Lisbon, so uh should be very, very close there in Russia. Chelsea and PSG, the highlight of the day, 2.45 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1. PSG up 2-1 from the first leg. Uh, in France, John Terry is going to miss that match for Chelsea. That's a big blow, uh, to Goose hitting side as they attempt to overcome a deficit at home at the, uh, excuse me, at Stanford Bridge in the Champions League. Something to salvage their season. Obviously, U.S. men's national team will take on Ecuador and Bolivia as prep for this summer's Copa America Centenario, according to Grant Wallet Sports Illustrated. Ecuador, uh, that game is proposed for May 25th at Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas. And Bolivia planned for May 28th at Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City. That's the former sporting park, if you're not uh, sure about that. So a couple of games against 
South American opponents to get the United States ready for what's going to be a very difficult group for them, Colombia uh, and uh, Costa Rica in that group uh, with the United States. And uh, who, who's, the, who's the third team in Group A of the Copa America Centenario for the United States? I didn't actually put that down on my news here. I probably should have done that. The uh, United States, um, Trevor's going to help me out. Paraguay, that sounds about right. Yep, there you go. That is the uh, the, the foursome, United States, Colombia, Costa Rica, and Paraguay. It's the United States against Ecuador and Bolivia as preparation. Swiss authorities, with help from fish, French officials, raided the offices of the French Football Federation today, seizing evidence for a criminal case against former FIFA president Sepp Blatter. This all relates, of course, to that agreement, the payments between Zepp Blatter and Michelle Platini, going back to the late 90s, money paid to Platini right around the time that Zepp Blatter was up for re-election um, as FIFA president in 2010. The raid is the first reported action outside of Switzerland in a criminal, criminal proceeding opened against Blatter last September for suspected financial mismanagement and misappropriation of FIFA money. Uh, Blatter turns uh, 80 years old tomorrow. That we should celebrate. How should we celebrate Sepp Blatter's birthday? I don't know, but we should come up with something. I just noticed that. Uh, the probe focuses on a $2 million payment Blatter approved from FIFA funds to Platini in 2011. The previously secret transaction wrecked the former France's great, uh, for, uh, the former France great's bid to become FIFA president when it was revealed by Swiss prosecutors six months ago. I am reading that directly from a story by the AP. Uh, we welcome this new stage because the sooner Swiss justice completes the investigation, the sooner Michel Platini will get out of the news headlines in which he does not belong. That was a statement from Platini's lawyers. Uh, this saga is not going to go away. Blatter is never going to be a part of FIFA again. I don't, I don't foresee that. Whether or not he goes down criminally is uh, the open question. In the Premier League, clubs have collectively agreed to cap prices on away tickets at £30 each. This is following criticism from fan groups about the rising cost of attending matches in jolly old England. The clubs collectively noted that supporters, quote, are essential for match atmosphere and stimulate the response from home fans that distinguishes Premier League matches from those of other leagues. Hey, when you're when part of your product is the atmosphere brought by the fan, you better service those fans, you better take care of those fans. We know the Premier League is going to be fine on the TV end of things. In fact, the money that's going to be coming into the Premier League through their television contracts, absolutely makes it necessary to cap ticket prices. I don't have any particular say, as I am not a traveling away fan in the Premier League, ever, never been one, uh, but I imagine this is a big deal for those fans who do make away trips in England, where it is possible to make pretty much every away trip, because uh, it's a tiny little country. I don't know if you guys have seen it on a map. Has, have you guys seen England on a map? It's, it's not real big. It's one of those things, like the CIA fact, uh, a fact book always says, that that a country is the like roughly the size of of one of the states. What state is England the size of? Because I I'm not sure. I don't remember. Brazil head coach Dunga says he would rather see Barcelona superstar Neymar play for his country in the Olympic tournament set for Rio this summer than in the Copa America tournament to be played in the United States. This is obviously kind of disappointing for those of us uh, in the United States who might be taking uh, in some Copa America games this summer. Brazil has never won that Olympic gold medal, and that's part of the reason for this. It's the one major trophy tournament, whatever, that they have never won. Uh, they've won the World Cup five times. It's hard to choose, but I think given the importance of trying to win the only medal that Brazil does not have, the fact that we are playing at home, we need to talk to Barcelona, the team, Neymar, to see what is best for all three. That's from Dunga. Neymar said he wants to play in both competitions, 
but Barcelona will likely ask him to participate in only one Copa America coming up in June with the Olympics following in August. I don't think Barcelona, and rightfully so, is going to be thrilled about the possibility of Neymar, who they spent a lot of money on and have continuing lingering issues with in terms of his transfer. I don't think they're going to want him to play in two intense tournaments over the course of the summer heading into 2016-2017 in Spain, in Europe, etc., and so forth. Um, So, we shall see. Again, a a potential disappointment for U.S.-based fans who are going out to Copa America games this summer, particularly those obviously featuring Brazil. Uh, but maybe, maybe we still end up with, uh, with Messi and Suarez and, uh, and Vidal and plenty of talent coming up here. Although, of course, Neymar, one of the best players in the world. All right. That's a good bit of news for you on a Wednesday. When we come back, Yanis Mahalik will be on the line with me. We will talk about so much of that stuff, plus more Super League, Champions League. Maybe Neymar. It is Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. It's Backheel.com. Do not go anywhere. Seriously, do not go anywhere. Stay right there. We'll be right back. All right, guys, let me tell you about Fulton and Rourke. Fulton and Rourke is a men's grooming and fragrance company that creates products specifically for the way men operate. In addition to using the highest quality ingredients available, each of their products is designed for the ways guys get ready. They're travel friendly, easy for being on the go, extremely effective. Their solid colognes, which use a wax base instead of an alcohol spray, have been featured in GQ Details and Fast Company. Check out their fragrance, Tybee. It's a fresh and clean smell with notes of cedar and rosewood. Men's Health called their Ultra Slick No Foam Shaving Cream one of the best new grooming products on the market. Their new bar soap is great, too. It's designed to perform with or without a washcloth. And the blend of Moroccan red clay, eucalyptus, sage, and black spruce oil smells great and leaves your skin feeling fresh and clean. Go to their website, FultonAndRourke.com. That's F-U-L-T-O-N, the word and, R-O-A-R-K.com and use the coupon code SOCCERMORNING15 that's SOCCERMORNING15 for 15% off your order and free shipping. Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, we're back on Soccer Morning. Uh, it is Wednesday. It's Champions League week. It's round of 16 in the Champions League. We're going to touch on that with our good friend Janusz Mahalik. Uh, you can hear him on numerous outlets. Janusz, uh, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Jason. What's going on? Well, nice. you, seventy-some degrees here. I'm I, sure. I I know. With the, what's up? With it's like spring is here. I'm invigorated. I want to go outside, and but then you never know. Winter could come back. Uh, we do have Champions League, and and maybe this fits. We're getting down to the to the last eight here in the Champions League, and and I'll I'll focus on yesterday's games first. Uh, no, neither one of those uh, results. A surprise uh, with Real Madrid advancing past Roma after, especially after their two-one win in Roma, and Wolfsburg going through against Ghent. First time Wolfsburg's been in the final eight, which is a remarkable thing for that club. Let me focus on the the Spanish side um, again. Two nothing winners. This is this wasn't 
it wasn't really a challenge against Roma, and yet there continues to there's always something with Real Madrid. Now it's a it's a booing thing. What, what's have? I'll I'll admit that I don't have the full context of the booing, Yanis. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, to to be quite frank, it's a it's a recognition that this is a good team, but that this is not a special uh, team. You know what I mean? So uh, I think these fans know deep down that even though it's a good run. Uh, it's a run that may end. You know, you look at the situation in La Liga, you look at what Barcelona are doing uh, without an effort, really, for the most part, uh, because if they really want to give an effort, uh, they're on a totally different level than Real Madrid. And I think that still stings. I think the 4-0 uh, um, at, at the Bernabeu, I mean, again, that, that's just a massive, massive result that has consequences throughout the season. So even though, you know, you could say that Real Madrid are built to win the, the Champions League, they, they are, you know, 10 times winner, of course, and and who's to say that the, the you know that they couldn't win it again? Uh, I still think that they they've seen it. And, you know, if you look at the, uh, the you know these two games against Roma, who you know historically have been pounded by big clubs in the in the Champions League, and look, Roma got to this stage uh, through the back door. What did they get like three points in a group stage? To come yeah, right. Through? Yeah. Uh, right, uh, uh, and yet in the first game and in the second game, you could you could you could say that you know by by chances created, unbelievable chances, Roma could have gone through here. So I think it's a it's just a smart uh, Bernabeu crowd, uh, maybe cynical to some degree because winning is winning, you know. But but it's a smart crowd that recognizes that this team is no, you know, is is not at the top of what Galactica should be. Mm. Yeah, certainly. I mean, when, when you have a bar as high as Real Madrid's uh, and you fail to meet it, it, it's no surprise. I mean, I don't want to get into the, uh, the, the, the argument over whether or not booing is ever appropriate, but, but, uh-huh. you know, is this the kind of thing that you will imagine will spur on a, a Real Madrid? I mean, to me, and, and, and this is not really a criticism of Zidane because I don't know enough about how he responds in these moments. He hasn't had an opportunity yet. But it, 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 to me, Real Madrid does not sound like the time, but it seemed like the type of, of side, especially in this year when we know they're not, um, they're not the best in their own league and, and they're probably not the best in Europe, uh, or they're definitely not the best in Europe, that they'll respond positively to this, as in, like, you know, buckle down and, and really show their abilities. Uh, this seems like the kind of thing that may not, Send them on a tailspin, Yanish, but but certainly impact them negatively. I th- I think they will. I mean, it's never great uh, when your home supporters do that for whatever reasons uh, you know uh, uh, that may be. So I think at this stage you're already in the quarters of the of the Champions League. You know that this is the only competition and the biggest competition. Uh, you know, some would say. I, I think it's going to be you know us against them. You know, to show it, to prove it once again. So you know, is there enough talent there to do it? Uh, you can ask questions. There's no you know uh, you really can. You look at that back four. You look at Marcelo, uh, you know, I mean, I can't believe that they call him a defender. You know, when you look at that lineup, it should be, I don't know, a striker or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you look what Salah has been able to do against him and many, many others. Uh, but look, I mean, Gareth Bale's been injured. He came in. You could see his quality right mm. away. I mean, many doubters out there. I'm not one of them. Uh, you know, as a player that can change, uh, you know, change the game at any given moment. So, you know, at the business at the end of the table, if, uh, you know, Bale and, and, and Ronaldo um, rise to the highest of heights, I mean, they can cause you problems. But, you know, th- there's going to be changes. There are always changes for Real Madrid, let's yeah. face it. I mean, they're going to try to get the best players in the world, and, and you know, they, they have their, you know, they have to fight their demons, and their demons are Barcelona and nobody else for that matter. Mm. Uh, as always, it'll come down, you know, for the quarterfinals, it'll come down to the to the draw to see whether or not Real Madrid um, is likely a semifinalist and, and then a finalist. I mean, that that's that's what this is, right? It's 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 the recognition from the fans that yes, you're good enough, maybe to 
to be a quarterfinalist, but are you good enough to go to the final if the the toughest teams are put in front of you? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, quietly, I don't know, you know, I, I, I almost wonder if you asked if you asked Real Madrid supporters, they would want Barcelona at mm. some stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is almost something that can make or break your season. You know, if you win the Champions League without facing Barcelona, you take that, of course, because in the history books, it, it's going to be a win. But I almost think that uh, there's some vindication needed. There's another classical in the league that mean that's going to mean absolutely nothing. Although I suppose if Real Madrid wins in Kent now, it's always something. You know, you can always hang your head. That you hang your hat on, on that a little bit. But I almost think that in order for this to be a, a, a very good or perfect season, or the sort of Real Madrid season that everyone imagines in, in Madrid, it, it almost ha- has to get you through Barcelona and facing them because that would be special. That would be something that you can forget. Uh, you know, the, the initial loss, I think it would launch Zinedine Zidane as a, a legitimate uh, manager. Uh, not that he can be one by himself, but you know what I mean? I think that would be something special. So yeah. I quietly hope that it's, you know, at some stage uh, Real Madrid will face Barcelona in the Champions League because now that would be something to look forward to. The, the, the league was already gone when Zidane took over. So, so mm-hmm. in order for him to put a stamp on this season, short of winning the Champions League, it is going to have to be something like beating Barcelona, either in that competition or, or in the league. And, you know, again, not chasing him, chasing down Barcelona, but, uh, but certainly making a statement that, hey, you know, we know what's going on now, but look, let's look towards next year. Um, let me, let me just briefly touch on Wolfsburg and, and Ghent. That's the game that nobody, uh, you know, that not, not that nobody watched, but certainly less eyeballs on it. And again, I mentioned Wolfsburg into the quarterfinals for the first time. That, that's, that's something. Um, not, I don't expect them to be a, a real challenger for the title, Janish, but what, what do you, what can you say about Wolfsburg? Well, I mean, you know, when I when I commentate the Bundesliga games, I mean, this is certainly a disappointing season from Wolfsburg uh, point of view. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, I mean, at the moment, uh, at least, what well, they're seventh in their league. Uh, you know, the, the Bundesliga is strong, but it's not that strong for a team that last year was absolutely outstanding. They finished second, third. I uh, can't remember, but it's just just unbelievable. Beat Bayern Munich in the process. If you remember last season, right after the break, it was like a four nil or four one result, something like that. Uh, and this team is not, you know, not as good. But they won't complain. Look, Bundesliga. Liga needs that in terms of coefficient. Uh, that's a team that uh, that will probably uh, uh, mean that uh, Germany will have the four spots for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, they're a team that's capable and that's playing a little bit better. And the reason for that, of course, is you know you see what Schürrle has done recently. I mean, he was a player that was absolutely outstanding. Leverkusen at Chelsea. Eh, you know, perhaps he didn't get a chance there, or didn't take his chance. I suppose uh, it's, you only give a player like that a couple games, and you have to prove that you belong. Uh, he's scoring again. Draxler, after his injuries, is as wonderful as I think he can be. Still inconsistent, but yeah. last few weeks, Julian Draxler has been showing. Oof, I mean, because in my book, he's just an exceptional player. He really is, uh, and very talented. So you saw that that set up on the goal, I'm sure. And, and this is the sort of Draxler uh, that I see. So look, I mean, everybody's going to be looking forward. Well, looking forward. I mean, I suppose you won Wolfsburg uh, uh, in the next round, but uh, you know, they could could possibly cause a, cause a surprise, but let's wait for the draw. Yeah, let's wait for the draw. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it depends who they play. But, yeah. you know, I mean, for, for example, I mean, Real Madrid, if they get Wolfsburg, they'll be happy, but, you know, it's not to say that Wolfsburg can cause a surprise in one leg, at least. Mm. Alright, so uh, in today's matchups, you have uh, Zenit St. Petersburg, that's the early game because it's in Russia, and, and Russia's <laughs> Very far away from many of these other teams against Benfica. Benfica comes in with a, a, a one goal advantage in Russia. I mean, are we looking at, uh, you know, how likely is it that St. P- that Zenit St. Petersburg turns this over, Janish? 
Well, I mean, they can. As, as I've always said, I mean, they have a very, very good squad. Although, I mean, you know, Crescito, if you remember, I mean, that one goal and uh, that stupid decision there towards the end to give that second yellow and, and they scored from that free kick, uh, 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 you know, on that goal. So, I mean, that, that may be very much the difference because there's not a lot in, you know, in terms of talent. But, you know, this Benfica team continues to amaze me. I mean, it's such a good team. I, I watched the other day, you know, obviously uh, uh, the clash at the top of the league against Sporting. They won away 1-0 against the former coach, uh, Jorge Jesus, of course. And that mm-hmm. was an extra uh, motivation for Sporting, I suppose. But it didn't turn out that way. So I look at Benfica as the team that's going to see that through. Even though on paper, with a 1-0, I, I usually go... Uh, to my default and the home, home team side. But, you know, this Benfica I just has so many, so many uh, good players that I just, well, you know, let's face it, though, they're undermen who I'm just looking here, Jardel's out, uh, uh, Almeida's out, Lisandro Lopez, and, and Luis out. So certainly uh, uh, difficult going away to, to Zenin in this one. But I'm going to take a chance on Benfica to see this through uh, and a soft spot because they, you know, I think we think of Benfica as this great club that, that hasn't been great for many, many years but uh, I would like to see them in the next stage. Mm. Uh, just for, for people, I mean, you, you know, we can't be aware of every, we're not all Giannis Mahalik, we can't all be aware of everything at all times. For people who don't know, V.S. Bolas is, is manager at, at Zenit, uh-huh. so that brings, um, you know, sort of a, a Western European wrinkle to what Zenit has done. And, and just, just, I mean, I don't know how much you're aware of what's going on in the, in the Russian league, Giannis. I mean, uh, I know they they recently a couple years ago changed their schedule to to line up with the rest of of Europe, and and there is a, a sense that Russian teams are sort of a sleeping giant in this competition. Have we reached a point where we can say that, that the Russian clubs are are competing toe to toe with a lot of the you know the, the second tier European clubs, or or they still have work to do? Yeah, nowhere near, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, you know, I always look at them, and, you know, you look at China, what's happening uh, there. You know, China is like the new Russia, I suppose, right? And Ukraine, you can throw them in there as well because of, uh, you know, I mean, the quality of Shakhtar and, and other clubs, uh, what they have done in the past. But I think, it, you know, it, they're going to continue doing what they're doing, you know, uh, uh, bring some teams in the Champions League, as it stands right now, of course. Um, uh, and I think they can cause a surprise, but I still think it's not a des- destination, uh, uh, a destination for, for top quality players. I mean, it's for one, two, or three that are going to get lured in by big money and we're going to make that decision, uh, mostly, you know, in terms of their, their pocket rather than, uh, than their careers. And, and, and I, I don't, I don't foresee, uh, a Russian clubs uh, to be significant, mm-hmm. at least in the Champions League. We've seen their success in UEFA, you know, in Europa League in the past, but that, that's where they're going to be. I don't see anything more now or in the future, to be quite honest. Okay, well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. There's a lot of factors involved. Some that are out of their control, but certainly money is always a factor. Just uh, for a reference point, uh, it's either been Zenit or CSKA Moscow who's won the title in each of the last uh, five okay. seasons. Ruben Kazan in the mix before that, uh, but even before that, CSKA and Moscow and Zenit. So it's 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 not a two team league necessarily. You know, it's not the way we think of in Spain, maybe, but it it does seem to have two teams who are going to dominate. And if those two teams aren't going to be good enough to do something like be a semifinalist in the Champions League, then it's probably not going to be anybody. 
Yeah, I think the whole thing is, you know, maybe, you know, I could be somewhat cynical in general, but in this case, obviously, I come from that side of the world, and 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 I think some of it is a little bit manufactured, to be quite honest okay. with you. I mean, you have the money, you know. I don't want to talk about economy here because you know you can see what price of oil can do and all that. But uh-huh. uh, but you know, Russia getting the World Cup, I think there's a little bit uh, brouhaha about this, and I think that benefit, you know, trickle down effect with the clubs and the excitement, and and normally the World Cup should spur. Uh, countries on, and I'm not saying it won't, but what I'm telling you is that uh, that you know some of these owners and rich people, I, I don't think they're they're there for the long run. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a little yeah. bit of a trophy type of thing, and if something goes wrong, they they quickly uh, they quickly go away. Angie, remember, yep. and, and I think you're yep. going to see more of that. So I, I don't see this as as Russia being any more powerful than they already are, and you can question that uh, as well. Okay, so we'll see if Zenit can get it done against Benfica. Today, Giannis with uh, Benfica holding on. Chelsea and PSG, that's the uh, the more marquee matchup, obviously. Uh, with the defending Premier League champions who have had a, a rough year with this competition. Now, the, the, you look at the table, Giannis, and, and Chelsea actually has a chance to surprise everybody and, and, and continue to work their way up. They're, they're at least looking at a Europa League spot for next year, if not an outside chance at, at making it into the top four. I don't think it's going to happen, but you can't rule them out the way that they've been playing under Goose Hiddink. Or, or, or getting points under Gusinic. And now they have the Champions League against PSG. PSG, naturally the favorites, but it's only one goal. Um, and, and Chelsea is, is traditionally pretty good at home. What do you expect to see today? Yeah, I mean, remember two, two weeks ago, I think we were talking about that, and I felt that PSG are going to go through for a simple reason that I think they're going to score, and, and, uh, you know, at, at Stanford Bridge, and that's going to be enough. Obviously, since then, Chelsea have done what I think we all thought they were going to do. I mean, we always knew that they, you know, they're not as bad as that. Under hitting, I, uh, they are still undefeated, I think, under him. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the result over the weekend wasn't great, but I think that was in anticipation of this game, uh, of course, resting some players. Uh, um, so Chelsea, you know, I, I, I think if I were PSG, I'd worry a little bit because their own form hasn't been great as of late. Not that it needed to be. Uh, look, if PSG loses here, that's going to be uh, the only reason for that is going to be the non-competitiveness of, of the uh, of the league. It's just simple as that because they're a great team. But you know that you know those extra games where you always have to be on your toes when it's a little bit closer. That benefits you because it keeps that sharpness. And I think they've lost that sharpness a little bit. You've seen some results against Lyonnais. You saw that against Montpellier over the weekend. Uh, and as I said, it's meaningless because they're you know 20 some points at the top of the league. But that is a problem because on paper you look at that team, you look at that squad, and really is as good as any. I've been saying that for a little bit. Remember when PSG came to power. Uh, Jason, when we talk about Manchester City, we're asking how many years it's going to take. I yeah. thought PSG was much closer than Manchester City in many ways uh, to that, and and they're just two, three deep in every position. But it's hard to play in a league like that. I never, you know, in the beginning, I didn't really want to make that argument, but I'm making it. If they don't, if the, if they don't get through in this one, mm-hmm. it's just because of the lack of sharpness. Yeah. That, uh, that Ligon doesn't provide. We've heard uh, David Trezeguet say something very similar to that, and 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 I think, you know, if you're not tested in your league, when you jump into the Champions League and the quality level goes up so significantly, it certainly can be a shock. We'll see what uh, Laurent Blanc and PSG do today. Um, Giannis, while we're here talking about PSG and talking about their quote-unquote project, and obviously uh, the similarities between them and, and P- uh, sorry Manchester City in terms of the money invested, et cetera, et cetera. Zlatan made some some waves. Um, I'm not sure when he said these things. Maybe yesterday, when he said that 
PSG's history, or the club was born the day the Qataris took over, which is you know three and a half years ago. Uh, Luis Fernandez has has said that's not true, and there is a history right. there in PSG. Um, I, you know, what do you, what do you make of? I mean, there, there's certainly a, a way to you can look at it both ways, really. Uh, you mean just in general, the PSG in general, or the sure. Super League? That you no, 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 no. We'll, we'll get to the Super League in a second. But but PSG is a club, and 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 being taken over by by a money group like the the Qataris, and then becoming a a more uh, consistent European power than you know they they you know PSG hadn't won a title in I think 19 years before this recent run. They they certainly well, weren't a Champions League team like this before. So while Zlatan's comment disrespects the history of PSG, there's some truth to it that they they weren't on this level of course, before. Of course there is. Of course they weren't. I mean, they had some success. We know. We all know that. But I remember not long ago they were fighting relegation. I mean, you know, we're not talking about Ligue 1 PSG at all if it, if it isn't for that move. Uh, so, yeah, there's always history. It's not as deep as a lot of clubs when you look when they were formed. But <clears throat> And I don't want to take any success previous to the new ownership because there was success. <laughs> no doubt about that. But, uh, yeah, without that, we're not talking about PSG at all. We're not talking any big time play. I mean, you know, there's some good players, uh, uh, you know, in the past, but not the sword that you have right now. I mean, look at the name. So, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, this is absolutely right. The new money, of course, uh, uh, is, is helpful and, and, uh, and a PSG is taking advantage of that. But I think we need more than PSG in that league. Monaco have tried and, and look what happened, right? I mean, the, you know, they went gangbusters with, with Falcao and all those players. Early then the Russian uh, uh, billionaire took money uh, away from the table, and they're nowhere near where they were. I mean, they're still second, but look at the difference right now. So that's the, that's that's what uh, you know, huge money. That's the difference the money makes. I mean, never mind PSG. Just look at what happened in Monaco uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, um, so so he's absolutely spot on. With yeah. That. Well, and and look, I mean, it, it, it's obviously it's the nature of the game these days, and it has unbalanced the French league. And it's funny, uh, Luis Fernandez saying. Uh, that um, you, you're, this is his criticism of Zlatan. You're playing in an average league where Lewandowski and Suarez would not score 25 goals, but 70 goals, <laughs> which is, I, I mean, I, I don't know that we need a, a, a war of words between Zlatan and Luis Fernandez, but it, it does kind of speak to, uh, you know, the, the, how transformative this money can be because we're talking about PSG not being ready maybe for a Champions League challenge because they're not tested in, in, in the French league. And that conversation sort of pushes the the league uh, problem because that's a problem, Yanish, to the side, and we're only focused on the the big, richer competition that that takes place against the biggest clubs. Yeah, look, I want to be sympathetic to the you know, I, you know I'm the sort that wants uh, competitiveness, competitiveness within the leagues because I think that breeds success. We've seen what happened, regardless how it happens in the Premier League this season, right? Uh, it makes you pay attention. I mean, let's be honest here, and and uh, you know, you know me, I'm a junkie. Uh, you know, uh, I watched so many different leagues because you know, part of it I need to be informed, and I, I want to look towards the home, but it's very, very difficult. I mean, how can you do that? I mean, I used to do it with Olympic Lyonnais. Remember those years when they won seven straight and they were mm-hmm. wonderful and I, they've sold just about every player all great players that are around Madrid and all over the world right uh, at Chelsea's and, and, and all that but you know look at where Lyonnais are, are sitting you know right now so um, it, it, look they, they you know Ligue 1 unfortunately is an afterthought it, it really is so, so unless something changes uh, I'm going to have to side with Latan on this one 
Yeah, and you just can't, you just can't imagine Liga becoming the hot television property that, that the Premier League of the Bundesliga is, certainly La Liga with those clubs, Yanish. So that if they- Jason, the, you know, the problem is, of course, deeper. I mean, look, you know, uh, soccer is not even their number one sport. Right, yes, know, in, right. In France. So, right. so, I mean, you know, to, to, uh, you know, I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, put the United States here, but, you know, similar problems you're fighting, you know, and yeah. this is a, you know, you know, when we talk about Major League Soccer and how difficult it is to compete about against other sports, I think we're actually further away in some way than, than France because, you know, at the very least, France sits in the heart of the, the, the yeah. world's football. Yeah. And I don't want to take anything away from South America here. But, you know, so they're having problems out right there where the action is. And we're so far away. And in, in a way, I think almost, you know, uh, we have a more difficult job here, yet we're doing it better, I think. Mm. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what, what happens to, to, to French football as as this continues to move on and one of the things that may impact french football is the possibility of a super league and yanish uh before he came on the air i asked you if you would had a chance to comment on this stuff it obviously all blew up last week mm-hmm. charlie stilettano at the center of it uh an american a guy who runs the you know uh, is part of the group that puts on these summer tournaments uh, a voice on, on american soccer radio a guy that knows uh, sir alex ferguson and jose Mourinho very well uh, I think it's well beyond him, and I think he's being made out to be a scapegoat. But beyond that, the issue of a Super League, I mean, how do you view it? I mean, is, if it's an inevitability, are we looking at being depressed because of that fact? No. I mean, you know, you can make so many arguments. But look, if it wasn't for, if it's not going to be for Ross and Charlie, somebody else is going to do it, right? I mean, they're probably the most equipped in it because they have connections. We all know Charlie here. And this is, you know, us talking without bias, uh, you know, because of serious. Uh, 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 but but he has the experience, right? He's run the the the, the champion, you know, the ICC for for so many years. Uh, he's friends with the with the you know big guys just about anywhere in the world. So so it's just natural that he's going to talk about it. And and look, this has been talked about it. Uh, for so many years before Charlie even spoke. So, of course, yeah. it's not fair to jump on him. Uh, you can question, you know, if this is a good thing or a bad thing for, for football. That's another thing. But for him to do it, look, Jason, I, I mean, everything that's happening in America is going that way, you know, towards Europe, and it's going to continue to do it. Next thing you're going to have in years to come is going to be salary cap. It's as simple as that. All of that is going to happen. You're going to have that Super League, and then the owners are going to say what they said here. Why are we paying all these players that much money, why are we paying such fees for these players, right? Because that's what owners do. They want to make a buck, and they want to make sure that they make more of it, right? And and so I think this is just inevitable, as you said. It's going to happen. Uh, is it going to be the best for football? No, probably not, because of people like you and I, right? We want to see a smaller team succeed. We don't want to see just the elite. We're going to enjoy it, by the way, because, you know, the, the other side, you know, why not? I mean, part of it is true. Let's face it. I mean, you want to see the best playing against the best, yeah. but you also yeah. want to see the, the smaller story so and look there's always a flip side but in terms of is it going to happen it's going to happen and 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 you know charlie and and his company are on the front yeah. uh front of it because uh, they see an opportunity to uh, to make history in a lot of money i think that what people uh what people have to realize is that this is not being driven by one individual or by one company or even by a collection of a small collection of clubs like we saw meeting up in london last week uh that was you know those were all premier league clubs there's obviously clubs on the continent who are interested in this idea too uh Giannis, this is all about the the shrinking the shrinking world and when i say that what i mean is the technology that allows people on the other side of the planet to watch premier league soccer every weekend or la liga soccer or champions league in in midweek 
it, it only makes sense, and I'm not again, I'm not defending this from a football perspective, but it only makes sense for somebody running a business to say, there are a billion people in China who would watch whatever we put on the television, right. and if we can control the money, we are we set to make we're set to make out. Uh, why if again, if you're running a business, that's the natural place to go. it It takes it takes a unique individual to stop, and you need right. twenty, thirty, forty, fifty of them to say, Wait, this isn't in the best interest of the sport that we all love. Of course, it's not in the best interest, but you know we have to. You know, I suppose if you have to give an opinion, you have to separate your emotions from what you want to see, right? Yeah. And what you want to see, it's it's open league like it's been already, right? And you want to see a surprise here and there. But at the end of the day, you have to say to yourself, okay, reality sinks in, and people want to watch the best at the top, the best all over. Is that going to get boring at some stage? I don't know. Maybe, right? I mean, how many times can you see Real Madrid against Bayern Munich or something like that? But let's be honest here. I mean, I don't know the ratings, but what do you think the ratings were yesterday for Wolfsburg against Ghent, right? Who watched that game? Even to some degree, Real Madrid against Roma, which are two big clubs, right? But there's certainly a big difference there. You know, we knew what was happening. There wasn't a lot of buzz. Today, how much buzz is there again for Zenin against Benfica? Probably none. That doesn't mean that, I, you know, I've lost heart. I'm just speaking, you know, I'm putting emotions away. So I think at some stage, if you can get a league of, of elite teams that are going to, uh, you know, that are going to give you that closeness and that, that story, and, you know, people, people are always going to watch it. They're going to complain it, but they complain about it, but they're going to watch it. So, uh, you know, ratings to some degree uh, um, dictate that. And again, I'd be shocked, to see, you know, not to see some really, really bad ratings around the world. I'm not talking just here, by the way, in those games, because, you know, I, you know, even if you go on Twitter, I mean, how much buzz did you see yesterday about the up-and-coming games? It's almost, to a degree, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like a Champions League week, yeah, really. Yeah. And today, yet today, PSG against Chelsea, I promise you, is going to be different. And by the way, this is just, this is just reality, because uh, for those that know me, I I really am against it. I, I'd like to, you know, you know me. I'd like to see the return of all European well, the champions make it. So I'm not on that side, but I've been in the business long enough to know uh, why that happens. It's it's the the you know the the horse <laughs> the horse is out of the barn on 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 the Champions League on making money on being a worldwide product, and so you can't put this back in, Yanish, But this does all speak to, and, and this is just a lament because we I don't think it's ever going to change. There really isn't a voice for, for the long-time fan. There's not a voice for, you know, the, 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 we just hear that the Premier League has capped away ticket prices to 30 pounds in England. That's great news for the way fans in England, but th- that's about as far as their power is going to go. I mean, their, their power is you know, not going to extend to this. Yeah, yeah, but you know, as I'm thinking, and I'm, you know, I'm going to stay on topic, but maybe a little different direction, because it just occurred to me, you know, it may not be the worst of things, really, because you know what that may do, if you take the top teams, and you know, there may be one or two instead of four now that we see, it may benefit the leagues, right, because people are going to still love the Champions League, but they're going to put that aside, but what it means is that, the, the, you know, if there's a mechanism, maybe maybe the leagues become more prominent, because yeah. right now, in most of the leagues, right, in the, the top leagues, you, you're satisfied with being four or third because you know that guarantees you the Champions League yeah. now that you know that you're not going to be part of it right it may just put more importance on the on, on the leagues who in many ways have been dying right I mean we've been saying because of the Champions League uh, you know there is not there isn't that competitiveness there's two or three teams at the top that always make it so I just wonder if you were to take you know top one team from those you know in, cert- in certain areas like Spain England there's going to be you know two or three teams maybe three but it won't be four in, 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 in Spain's uh, 
uh, case, it's actually five this season, isn't it? Because Sevilla won the Champions League. So you're talking five teams from a league that made it. Um, so I just wonder, just speaking of that, that in some crazy way, this may benefit uh, the game as we know, especially in Europe, because yeah. teams are going to take you know, the league's more seriously. I'm not saying they don't, but it's just going to make it more competitive. Yeah. We'll see. Janusz Mahalik joining us uh, to talk Champions League and European football. Thank you so much for the time, Janusz. Great to talk to you as always, and uh, enjoy the games today. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure, Jason. There goes Janusz Mahalik. Good stuff from him. Let's step, step aside. We'll come back. We'll talk to Russ Dunbar. We'll focus in on Germany specifically, Bundesliga, Champions League fortunes for those Bundesliga clubs. Maybe some Super League talk there as well. Do not go anywhere. Soccer Morning, Backheel.com. to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning. We turn from a general Champions League European discussion to a specific German-focused discussion with our friend Ross Dunbar from DW Sports. Uh, Ross Dunbar, 93 is the Twitter handle. Go follow him right this second. Ross, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing relatively well. We just got done with some some Champions League, and, and I'll start there before we get diving into some specific Bundesliga topics. Uh, Wolfsburg into the, the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Um, no one's going to pick them to win the whole thing, but it is a notable achievement. Yeah, it's a pretty impressive milestone for them. I mean, obviously, they won the league in 2009, but after that, they had a few rocky seasons where they were kind of fighting relegation. But in the last, obviously, two years, they've really kind of been one of the more kind of prominent German clubs. Last year, uh, they were they were terrific. They finished second in the league. They won the German Cup. Um, and obviously, the the sale of Kevin De Bruyne has been a has been a bit of a blow to them in terms of the the ability they have in the squad, but to have come through to have come through the group stages in such a way that they did, and and obviously get into the last sixteen. Okay, it was an e- a very 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 favourable draw, let's say. Sure, but yes. <laughs> you know you, you got to beat what's in front of you, and uh, they did that uh, fairly comfortably on the night last night. Uh, Andre Schürrle scoring the decisive goal, and it'll be interesting to see what happens next because. You know, there are still teams in the draw like Benfica and Zenit, for example, who, who could be, you know, exactly the same as Ghent, you know, favorable draws for Wolfsburg and the tournament could open up mm-hmm. for them. But yeah, a great milestone, I would think. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the, the draw is everything is so dependent on the draw at this point. We'll see what happens. Uh, just, just, just kind of give me an, and we haven't really come back to this because the, the story faded away, but this is, this is a club directly impacted by the sanctions that VW faced. Um, after all of that controversy over uh, emissions here in the U.S., um, yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm just, just going to say that you know, obviously Volkswagen have have kind of uh, stopped a lot of their sponsorship deals at the moment. I, I saw yesterday that I think Schalke was the latest club who um, won't have a Volkswagen sponsorship, which is quite which is quite interesting because Volkswagen have, are such a big stakeholder in German football, and with and with, obviously with Wolfsburg, uh, a club that is a direct subsidiary of, of, of Volkswagen. I mean, let's not make any bones about it. They are a club that um, is very well funded by Volkswagen and a lot of the leadership at Wolfsburg is being controlled by Volkswagen. So, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some maybe ramifications going on. But at the end of the day, if they're still in the Champions League and they're still 
kind of towards the uh, broadcasting revenue at the top of the of the Bundesliga, then you know I suppose they'll be able to survive. Uh, yes, uh, survive, not not obviously compete with the top teams in the Bundesliga. We know Bayern Munich it looked like they were on the march to a to a, a, a domestic title. Um, you know, amid the swirling Pep Guardiola stuff, Ross, and certainly the march towards a Champions League title that would cap his tenure there. Um, <laughs> Dortmund had a chance to to close the gaps uh, significantly uh, this past weekend. Instead, we got an entertaining nil nil. Uh, that game inform anything about the the rest of this season? Um, I mean, I'm, I, I've always, I was always very reluctant to use the word title race because we we always tend to doubt Bayern and they tend to show up when when people doubt them most. I mean, the Mainz result was one of those games where the opposition were very compact defensively and they managed to spring some very good attacks. And obviously, Mainz are having a great season. So, I mean, from their for their point of view, that's an awesome result. Um, it would have been fantastic if Dortmund had won that game on Saturday to to liven up the title race. I mean, five points is not the worst kind of gap between the two clubs that, that, I, that I can see in Europe. So with nine games to go, you would think that Bayern are going to close it out and probably would be quite comfortable. But, but at least Dortmund are asking the question. That's, that's, that's the interesting thing. I mean, this, this is a Dortmund side that, okay, is not in the Champions League and maybe isn't as, as um, you know, competing at the highest level as they probably should be. But, you know, what Thomas Tuchel is doing there is, is, is quite outstanding. And, yeah. okay, they, they, might, they might finish five, six, seven points behind Bayern when you factor in the Europa League campaign, but I think it's still an awesome season for them, and obviously they still have the German Cup to, to compete as well. Yeah, look, I don't want to put, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to compare Thomas Tuchel taking over for Jurgen Klopp to, you know, to David Moyes taking over for, for Sir Alex, but certainly what Klopp did at, at Dortmund built up a, a legend, created a shadow, and, and it, it, I imagine it's, it can't be easy to take up that mantle, and yeah, they're not going to win the title, this year, but they certainly have positioned themselves again as Bayern Munich's best competition. Yeah, yeah, I think it probably helped that, that Jurgen Klopp's last 18 months at Dortmund were, were not entirely <laughs> successful. I mean, the team was really yeah. on a bit of a decline and, you know, all this kind of, um, you know, tactical element to Klopp's game, you know, the high pressing, the, you know, the quick combination play, that really disappeared in the last 18 months. I mean, the amount of long balls that I saw in the last season at Dortmund was, was quite incredible and, and uh, I guess that was the best environment for Thomas Tuchel to come in. I mean, let's not forget, I mean, obviously Dortmund are in the Europa League, but that's because they weren't anywhere near good enough to, to qualify for the Champions League last season. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tuchel has almost kind of, you know, cemented those ideals that Klopp had before, you know, the high-pressing, you know, the little interchanges. But tactically, they're on another level now. I mean, I think this is a team that if they were in the Champions League, they would easily be one of the, the kind of four or five main contenders. I mean, they are... A great side that pushed Bayern very hard on Saturday, and it, it would be it would be interesting to see how they how they would fare against maybe the top Europe, European teams from Spain or or from England, and and that's why I think the Europa League tie on Thursday with Dortmund and and, and Tottenham will be will be really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, they have a couple of ways back into the Champions League. They could win the Europa League, and that would get them in, um, or they could just qualify via finishing. Uh, in the top four in Germany, which looks like they're going to do. So back in the champion, what is, what is getting back in the Champions League next season mean for Dortmund? I think it means an awful lot. I mean, uh, it's interesting that now we're talking about this when, you know, there's been a lot of rumours about Ilkay Gundogan yeah. going to Manchester City. Yeah. There's been a rumour about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang going to Real Madrid. But you know, I think it's important to emphasise that Borussia Dortmund are not a massive selling club. I mean, this is not a club that, you know, is, is hemorrhaging its best players. I understand that, obviously... You know, Mario Götze going to Bayern Munich and Lewandowski going on a free transfer is quite is quite prominent. But apart from that, there's not been a lot of examples where they've 
where they've not been able to keep hold of players. I mean, Dortmund's philosophy is quite simple. I mean, you either sign a new contract or we'll keep you until the end of your or your current deal. Yeah. So in, in that respect, I, I find it quite interesting because I think Dortmund, when they're in the Champions League, have to be one of the most attractive clubs in Europe. If you're a young player who is about to you know, embark on a, on a big move, maybe you're, you're coming from the Netherlands or from Spain or from Portugal, Dortmund would be a great place to play your football. I mean, 80,000 people, the stadium, the atmosphere, the yeah. emotions, oh, and also playing in a top league with a great manager, playing in the Champions League. I mean, this is a club that is already now back on its feet and beginning to, is beginning to grow. And obviously with the Champions League money, that means that maybe they can keep Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Maybe they can right. keep yeah. uh, you know, players like... Marco Royce or uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan. That's the kind of difference, I think. I was going to ask you specifically about uh, two of those guys, Aubameyang and, and Mkhitaryan, and whether or not they can hold on to them. And, and, and having that influx of cash will, will, will help. Um, you have to convince those... Pl- I mean, you said it, it's an enticing place to play, but it, it is just still, because of the the way that the, the Bundesliga shake, shakes out more often than not, and because of the size of, of Bayern Munich, they still they're still... Something of a stepping stone, though, Ross. I mean, I know you're you're pointing to a couple of high-profile instances where where players left Dortmund to go to Bayern, and and there's just nothing that Dortmund can do in those circumstances. They're not wanting to sell, but that sort of does illustrate the very problem that they have. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I think I think in the most cases, from from Dortmund's point of view, the clubs you probably have to worry about are you know Real Madrid, Barcelona. Bayern Munich, right, and, and who doesn't? Probably right? the English champions. Those are probably right. the four clubs, the five clubs yeah. you have to worry about okay. when it comes to pinching players. Um, but I mean, you obviously mentioned that Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang. Uh, I don't think Mkhitaryan will leave because he really kind of embodies what Thomas Tuchel has done. Because I remember a game when when he was playing under Klopp and I, he was against Real Madrid, and he missed four or five great chances, and you could tell this was a guy low in confidence. But if you look at him now, I mean. He's an outstanding player, such an intelligent player um, in attacking areas. And with Aubameyang, it's a bit difficult because I get the impression that Dortmund probably is a stepping stone for him. I think he probably could go on to Real Madrid or maybe Manchester City or Man United or something like that. Um, but I think whoever obviously is interested is going to have to pay a lot of money. And I think mm. Dortmund are probably wise enough to, to cash in whenever they can. All right. While we're, while we're on Dortmund here, I'll, I'll, I will tar- turn things to uh, to the American presence at Dortmund. It's Christian Pulisic. He's you know, a young player by, uh, by any measure. Uh, we don't typically see American players rise to this level this quickly. Um, he did get a couple of appearances before being, you know, uh, brought back down to earth a bit by Tuchel. Is this, is this a, you think this is a program that, that Tuchel's following in order to bring Polisic along without dumping too much on a young player too fast? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think um, he has obviously made a big impact through the winter break, through a few sub appearances, one against Ingolstadt and one against Hanover, and then against Leverkusen he got his first start. Um, I was very surprised when I when I saw that on the team sheet, but uh, it wasn't really the type of game that suited him. I mean, it was very physical, a lot of long balls, but he put himself about, and I was really surprised at how quick he actually is. I mean, he's got great acceleration and and clearly a, the kind of player who I think in a tickle system could really work going forward. I mean, Dortmund have been very careful with him. They've obviously, you know, banned any media requests, anything like that. So they're not really allowing uh, him to be kind of exposed to the limelight. But at the same time, obviously, what he's doing for, for Dortmund is quite impressive. And, and I think, I mean, obviously, I can't really speak from a, from a US national team point of view, but if you've got a guy who's playing kind of semi-regular football for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga, he probably has to be 
you know, one of the kind of leading lights of the national well, team. I would, it's, I would it's, think. It, it, obviously, you know, at those youth levels, he's a guarantee. But when we're talking about the senior team, I think there is some hesitation. And I, I'm not sure where I fall because, yes, the United States could absolutely use a player of Christian Pulisic's quality, especially if he is, as you said, occasionally playing in one of the best leagues in the world. And yet I wonder if Jurgen Klinsmann has been cowed a bit by the, the experience with, uh, with uh, Julian Green, who wasn't even to this point yet, and, 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 and so is a different player in a different case. But obviously Klinsmann rushed him, brought him into the World Cup team, and, and now where is he? Where, what's happening? He's playing with the reserves at yeah. Bayern again when he really legitimately should be getting senior-level playing time at some, at some place in, in the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously that loan spell he had at Hamburg was not entirely successful because he didn't play. Uh, but it was his, I mean, he did say that it was his decision to stay at Bayern Munich and compete for his, compete for his place. So that's obviously his decision. And I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think that he should have probably gone and played regular football somewhere, even if it was a step down and maybe a, a, a league outside the top five in Europe. Sure. You know, maybe play yeah. in Holland or Belgium or whatever. Yeah, that would have been would great be for his development. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Theo Walcott when obviously he came through and he obviously got into the England squad and a lot of hype was made about him. But I mean, if the guy's good enough, then I, yeah. I don't see why he shouldn't be in the squad. I mean, you would you would expect that if obviously the US beats uh, Colombia for the Olympic place, then he would be in that squad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if the Copa America has been a little bit too soon for him. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, we'll see what <clears throat> Klinsman does with his selections, and, and that U23 team absolutely has a difficult challenge, and you would imagine having uh, Pulisic in that team would be good. They have, um, just uh, for the American fans out there, I did see today that, uh, Clint, uh, that, that the U23 side for the U.S. may call up, um, uh, what, I'm just completely blanking on his name, Trevor, the, the kid at, at, at Rangers. Maybe you know who I'm talking uh, about, Zalim, right? yeah. Yeah, Zalalem. So we'll see. And he's, he's obviously a little bit older than Pulisic and, and getting playing time in a, in a, in a physical league at Rangers. All right. Um, let, let me turn to Eintracht Frankfurt. Obviously, there's an American there that, that not many people, not many Americans want to see in our squad these days in Timmy Chandler, but they did just change their manager. Uh, being pulled down to the relegation battle is, uh, why we're seeing Nico Kovac to get that job. Yeah, I mean, they've been sucked down there for, for quite some time now. I mean, Armin V is a kind of, uh, I'm not sure how to describe him, but I mean, he is the kind of, I, I wouldn't want to say the Harry Redknapp of German football, but he just seems to pop up every so often. And I'm and I'm not really sure exactly what his strengths are, whether it's coaching, whether it's tactics, whether it's man management. I've not really seen enough evidence of that. Um, and obviously, he had a failed spell at Stuttgart the last time he was there. And uh, at Frankfurt, despite a, a, a promising start to the season, they have just slipped down you know, pretty terribly. They have had a lot of injuries in forward areas. Alex Meyer, who was the Bundesliga's top goal scorer last year, has, has not been close to the kind of form that he had then. And unfortunately, a lot of teams who were in the relegation zone are now beginning to improve. I mean, Stuttgart were on this fantastic run. Hamburg are kind of mid-table now. Ingolstadt are mid-table. Werder Bremen have picked up in the last few weeks, inspired by Claudio Pizarro, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this, this was kind of inevitable. They've got nine games to save themselves. Interestingly, with, with Niko Kovac, the, the replacement, obviously, uh, the former manager of the Croatian national team, he played for several Bundesliga clubs back in the 90s, but his contract is only eligible for the first division. So even if Frankfurt get relegated, they might have to change their coach again, which I'm not really sure is a very, uh, you know, stable way of running the club. I mean, normally you would think, okay, if we're second bottom with nine games to go, let's, 
let's factor in the contingency plan that we might go down. But in this case, it doesn't really look to me as if they're they're they're, they're considering that. And and for a club like Frankfurt, who are obviously you know a massive side, well supported, going down to the second division would be a massive blow. I think. Yeah, uh, certainly. Uh, not, I mean, it's never a, never a good thing. Uh, we'll yes, see sir. if uh, if Kovac can pull them out. Uh, uh, running out of time with you, Ross. Definitely want to touch on another couple of the American stories in Germany. One of them you mentioned to me, which I was not aware of. Uh, Russell Canus, um, a young American player, being being called up to the senior squad for for Hoffenheim. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he worked with Julian Nagelsmann, the 28-year-old uh, coach who is now the first-team coach at Hoffenheim, the youngest coach in Bundesliga history. I think I think Canus won champ a few youth championships with with Nagelsmann, and and that's an interesting development because Hoffenheim obviously now have 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 picked up form the last few weeks, and he obviously has been brought into the first team. It'll be interesting to see whether he comes in during this kind of relegation dogfight. Mm. All right, so a, a player to watch. I mean, not not yeah. somebody I think a lot of Americans are even. Uh, you know, familiar with. I, mean, I think a lot of us have heard his name, uh, but we don't know a lot about him. Uh, and, and this is, uh, I think, he's still, uh, he's still uh, certainly eligible for the U23s and, and maybe even um, the U20s. I'm not sure where he is in terms of his age. All right, um, the, you know, there's there's not a whole lot that we can grab onto when it comes to uh, Americans playing in Europe and, and doing well. We got a couple of players in uh, in in England. Um, Premier League level, Championship level. Our goalkeepers are are falling flat on their face over there. Ross, um, Germany is the home of a couple of decent players. Obviously, the, the Pulisic story is a good one. But Fabian Johnson remains the leading light, and, and he continues to play pretty well at, bon- at Mönchengladbach. Just give me an update on on Gladbach, where they are, and where Johnson uh, fits in. Yeah, so Gladbach are one of the very many clubs in the Bundesliga who are competing for a Champions League place and are very inconsistent. Uh, at the moment, there are six points between third and eighth. Gladbach are sandwiched in that kind of pack of clubs. And Fabian Johnson, I think, is probably Gladbach's you know, most important player right now, which is which is obviously great for, for Klinsmann, for the US national team. He brings a lot of pace. Uh, I think technically and tactically, he's improved when playing in the first team for, for Munchen Gladbach. And, and it'll be, again, it'll be interesting to see what happens from now until the end of the season where uh, Gladbach are a kind of club who would kind of look to get back into the Champions League again. Obviously, he had a taste of that this year against Juventus and Man City, but I think it would be great for Johnson's development at that kind of age to be playing regularly in Europe's top competition with, obviously, one of the top clubs in the Bundesliga. Oh, there you go. Ross Dunbar joining us talking Bundesliga. I'm sure there's many other topics that we could get into. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, unfortunately. Go follow Ross, Ross Dunbar 93. If you have questions on any of this stuff, uh, including maybe some of the, the fortunes of Americans in, in Germany right now. Certainly, uh, imagine Ross will, be able, Ross will be able to give you an answer. Ross, thank you very much for the time as always. Excellent. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Thanks for having me. There Cheers. goes uh, Ross. Go follow him, as I said. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll open up the phone lines for a bit. It is a Wednesday edition of Soccer Morning. Uh, Backheel.com. Be right back.
Welcome to Soccer Morning. Here's your host, Jason Davis. All right, here we are. We're back on Soccer Morning. Uh, we have phone lines open. 646-832-3909. 646-832-3909. I wish it said something like people. Do they even put the like the letters on the buttons anymore? Like if I use, I never even look. Does it show like on my keypad? Does it show? It does. It shows all the letters. I didn't even know that. So it could be like six four six eight three two. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, there's a zero in there, so it throws it off because zero has no letters. So it would have to be like, uh, dude, <laughs> doof. <laughs> uh, no, that's not right. Nine. It would be three nine. It would be D W O W D Wow F Wow. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little loopy today. I don't think I slept well last night. We can talk Champions League. We can talk Super League. We can talk, uh, and I'm going to expand on this over at uh, Sirius XMFC today. Uh, Paul Kennedy at Soccer America. Uh, you should know that publication. It's been around for ages and ages and ages. Back when nobody in America cared about soccer, Soccer America was a thing. So you give them tons of credit and certainly give Paul Kennedy tons of credit for being around. He has a piece this morning. On the Portland Timbers, because they have explored the possibility of expanding Providence Park. The piece relates to that idea and the question of whether or not MLS is going to outgrow its stadiums and when that might happen. Now, if you're thinking, well, of course they are. Demand is going to go up. They're going to have 25,000 seats. That's going to be too few. Uh, They're going to outgrow their stadiums. Keep in mind that soccer's place in the sports landscape and in uh, the sports culture means that, you know, I don't think 60,000 people are going to show up everywhere to watch soccer matches for a very long time. We're just not there yet. I mean, clearly not there in Colorado, clearly not there in Chicago, possibly because of location for those stadiums, but for other reasons too. So here's your, um, here's your reality. And I'm going to, I'm going to borrow this from Aaron Stoller on Twitter. Uh, when asked if clubs will outgrow their stadiums, by Simon Evans, Aaron said, probably never keeping demand high will allow owners to keep raising prices. Ticket prices are going to go up and, and, and that may become an issue too. And as for the other side of it, the more, the, the fewer people who can get in the building, and certainly this was NFL logic back in the day, and, and it does apply on some level, the fewer people who can get in the building, the higher the television ratings because they're watching on TV. So it's something to consider. I, I think that, Again, having, having 35,000, 40,000 people out at every single match would be amazing. That would be great. That would be a step forward for American soccer. Um, back in the day, you know, the 70,000 at Giant Stadium to see the, the Cosmos was remarkable. Nowadays, we have the Sounders and their huge crowd, 60,000 out to watch Orlando City this weekend. Those are, are one-off situations that generally don't happen all that often. I mean, the, the Sounders are remarkable at nearly 40,000 these days. And, and, but they are an outlier and we know that. So should it be, should we ask this question now or is this a question for the future? Let's talk to Nellie in Texas about something else. Hi, Nellie. Hey, Jason. So this morning I was reading an article from Minnesota. Uh, they were saying that MLS is in a way forcing the team to change their name from Minnesota United to Minnesota FC. Yeah. Because there's already two other teams with the name United. Well, now uh, the story goes Minnesota United came first. I know. Well, okay. So, 
uh, the story goes, Nelly, that um, Arthur Blank specifically down in, in, in Atlanta uh, with his team coming in next season, uh, having decided to call his team Atlanta United FC, is not happy with the possibility of having to compete for attention alongside another United and that the confusion might be a problem. I think he's wrong. I think a lot of soccer fans think he's wrong. I don't know why MLS is bowing down. Though I do know why MLS is bowing down to Arthur Blank because he's a very rich guy. He's got an NFL ownership. Um, he's got NFL ownership, and he's got a big, bright, shiny new stadium that's going to bring them um, some att- some attention in a major television market. It's 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 the wrong move. It's the wrong move. And you're right. Minnesota United was united before Atlanta United was united. Just the reason they're saying that uh, they don't want two teams to come in with the same name. Just two years, just last year, you had two teams with the city name come in. There's so many FC teams already named. Uh, it just point. doesn't make any sense. They're they're making the fans upset in Minnesota. Yeah, uh, a lot of them have uh, been writing petitions about it. Well, okay. I don't see a problem with uh, having three United okay. teams. I don't see a problem. Look, I don't. I I think we're being extremely uncreative here when we name all of our teams United. But whatever. Um, it's if, if you're going to buy into the notion that United is a common name for a soccer club, especially in the English-speaking world, especially in England itself, then there's no reason not to have. There's no reason to say you can't have three Uniteds in the league, or even two Uniteds entering the league at the exact same time. That being said. Minnesota United fans getting worked up, upset, sending petitions, to me is a little ridiculous. Just a little bit. Only because they've been called that for, what, three years? Two years? Uh, since 2010, I believe. They have, not been Minnesota, I they have not been Minnesota United since 2010. There's no way. They, they rebranded as Minnesota United when Dr. Uh, McGuire took over that club just a couple of years ago. Before that, they were the Minnesota Stars. And before that, they were the Minnesota Thunder. Maybe I may even be missing missing one of the names in there. The team, the team. Um, let's see. What's, let, let me just um, let me just. Check. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were the they were the NSC Stars in 2010 and 2011. They were the Minnesota Stars in 2012. Uh, they they changed their name in 2014. Uh, 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 Maybe thirteen. If I have this wrong, I apologize. But they definitely haven't been Minnesota United for more than a couple of years. And, and it's, that's not to say that they don't have a right to be Minnesota United if they want to be. I, I agree with you, Nelly. I'm just saying that if we're going to get all worked up and protest this stuff, at least let it be a legacy name that comes from 35 to 40 years ago. Right. Good point. But I mean, a lot of these fans have already gotten used to it. But. From what I've heard and read from the fans is they call it United because they have the two cities, the Twin Cities United as one. Uh, you know, well, it, it's okay. been a short year, but they've been sticking with their name. Let them stick with okay. their name. 2013. The thing I, I get a little upset is MLS is just allowing this to happen, butting in, telling the owner, no, you can't name your team this way. You have to name it this way. Or uh, uh, name, uh, okay. name except this. Okay. Look. Come on, let them pick your own name. Let let them have it. Okay. No, I'm I'm with you, Nelly. I'm with you. I think uh, in in the ranking of MLS crimes, this is relatively low on the list, but it is a crime. It absolutely is. They should not be doing this. There's there's no reason to force Minnesota to change their name. Now, um, this only came back. We talked we talked about this a couple weeks ago when it first broke. The reason that it's coming up now, I think, is because uh, it appears that the trademarks have been uh, established 
by Major League Soccer and that none of the trademarks related to Minnesota uh, in, uh, have the word United in them. So actually, yeah, let me find it right here because I, uh, I have the story as a matter of fact. Um, let me just check this out. I'm sure this is from, oh, this is from Empire of Soccer. Our friend Dave Martinez and his, uh, his website. Uh, Minnesota United. It looks like Arthur Blank has won following a report from Sports Illustrated detailing the tug of war between Atlanta and Minnesota over the United Market uh, moniker. MLS trademark filing uncovered by Empire of Soccer shows Atlanta has won that debate. MLS filed a trademark for MNFC and Minnesota FC on February 18th, just one day after the original report. All right. Well, I mean, there we go. Uh, I mean, I, I, I and, and here's look, here's the other side of the question. And I know this isn't really part of your argument, Nelly, but I think it, dem- it deserves mention. As I said, the lack of creativity. If we're going to copy Europe, says Galen on Twitter, why don't we just call them the Minnesota Wanderers or Sporting Club de Minnesota? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, there you go. All right. You got anything else, Nelly? No, that's it. I guess right, that's going to be the last. Uh that's the last time we hear of a United team. So no, I, I, that's I, it. Thanks, I, Jason. Thanks. And again, let me just say this, okay? I, it is dumb that MLS is making them change their names. It, it's dumb. It, it's extremely dumb. In fact, MLS, whatever, you're, you're, you're being dumb, okay? And, and Arthur Blank is being dumb, and Atlanta United is being dumb, okay? But I will say that uh, MUFC obviously has a, there's a reason that they went with that back in the thing. Okay. Anyway. All right, thank you very much to uh, Giannis Mahalik and Ross Dunbar for their appearances today. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of uh, of Soccer Morning. If I can figure out what song I want to play as I go out, it's usually that one. Okay, there it is. Champions League today. Soccer Morning on Sirius XM FC 85 today, so listen to that. Follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.